Welcome to the Pool House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pool House Podcast. How are you all doing? My name is Jake. How are you doing today, Andy? Yes, very well, mate. Yes, good to be uh, good to be recording another one. Just the dynamic duo that is me and you. Well, it is Friday. You've got a new song out called Scary Happy Things. It's all good. I've just got my master back. So we're moving. Things are moving. You got it back already? Yeah. No messing about from Anthony. That is Anthony at Red Red Poor Mastering. He is the Don. That is a quick turnaround. (laughs) Yeah, he, he is great. Yeah, got nothing but great things to say about his mastering service. Uh, he just nails it every time. What more can I say? I've uh, I've literally just emailed him as well. So, so yeah, he's getting... So if I don't get mine back as quick as you got yours back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did send mine last night, so, you know. I mean, that's still quick. I know, it's very quick. Uh, yeah, songs are out. How are you feeling about it? It's uh, another tick in the box. Yeah, it's a, it's another one out there. The reality of this one is that Canva isn't working for me. So there's a slight lack of content around this one, but I'll post out about it just using the artwork. Do you know what I'll say about that? Go on. That's a lesson in not leaving it so late. Mm, correct, yeah. Because... <laughs> And, and actually, it does feed in a little bit into today's episode. But yeah, being organised is super important for when things like that happen. I mean, that's completely out of your control, something you find very easy. You've, you've made the effort to figure out what's your system and how you make your social content, and then it doesn't work, and then it's left you with nothing. As we know, most of the game with all of this is visibility. And if you can't yeah. be seen... <laughs> from having all your stuff ready then day one's going to be tough but the the good thing is it doesn't matter it's out there and you can just work it when it's working but yeah you know. i think that's kind of the approach i'm going to go with um i don't know if it is me or it's canva i have actually tried since monday i will throw that in there okay that's <laughs> that's fair enough i'd say that's... i don't think we could can't do the rest of the episode with me telling people to be organized can i <laughs> Well, yeah, today isn't all about being organised, but it does it does help. I mean, should we just get into it straight away? Yeah, let's do it. Right. So today I wanted to talk about DAW templates and channel strips and how helpful they've been for me and Andy. And it's something that we kind of didn't get round to until later in our careers, if you want to call it that. When you first start out, you're just so excited to be using a DAW and just so excited to be making music and you should never lose that feeling. But you don't realise that just by doing a couple of things and just organising yourself a bit actually allows the creativity to come out even quicker. Definitely. I want to go back to like when you were first doing sessions, like... (laughs) How would you say your <laughs> sessions were laid out, Andy? <laughs> well, I mean, they're not much better from then, but I mean, I would uh, I would start from scratch every time. So uh, a blank, open, new logic session, so where there is just nothing anywhere. And I, and I would start from that every time. Well, for a number of years, I was, I was quite happy with that. I, I almost enjoyed 
starting from nothing because I was like, well, nothing's influencing me. Like what I come up with will be original every time. Like it's not going to sound the same as the last thing, et cetera, et cetera. And then, I don't know, fast forward five, seven, eight years or whatever it is. <laughs> I think that is how long it took me. to. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly, same, to, exactly the same with me. It took me that long. So yeah, now I've got to the point where I, I every session I start is from a template. So yeah, I guess there's a few things to break down in there. Maybe if I throw it back your way, like were you thinking about templates at the start and purposefully ignoring them in, in terms of what I was like, oh, I don't want everything to sound the same or was it just not on your radar? Like Exactly the same as you. I had that thing of, I want to be someone who doesn't sound the same every time. I want to be able to be free and fluid and yeah make something original every time and there is something great about having a completely blank screen but you can have a blank screen and also have after eight years of doing stuff you use every single time so that you don't actually have to Mm. (laughs) waste time going oh yeah i gotta get that plug in and do that eq roll that off and get that delay send and that reverb, which you use every time because over time you just create go-tos. It's whether you like the usability of the plugin itself or you like the way it looks or you like the way it sounds or it's a combination. There are certain things you just go to. For example, H delay has always been my delay. I just like the way it sounds. It's really simple. I've tried others, but for some reason... I just always end up coming back to that delay as my, my go-to. So why not just have that delay? And you can have multiple delays of that delay. You, you know, you can have a quarter note, you could have a sixteenth, you can have a slap back, you can have them all there labelled. There's so many things you can do just to be able to be like, oh, I want to do this. And it's just you're able to do that straight away by just doing a little bit of organisation. Yeah, for me, I don't know if it was out of not wanting to, but just not realising how much time and how useful it would be. You kind of underestimate what it can do for you as a workflow. Yeah. I think you watch like videos on YouTube and things like that and people, it wasn't like I'd never heard of templates and then I, then I heard of them and then I was like, oh, I'll give them a go. Like they were constantly there for those seven or eight years and people saying they were, but you just didn't believe it. And also there is a bit of effort in setting them up. Yeah. And I'm terrible for like, Anything that's not instant, I'm just, I ain't got time for. But so, Yeah, absolutely. You do have to set time aside to just be like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sort it out once and for all, which it's not necessarily enjoyable, but I promise mm. you the first time you open up that template and you're like, oh, this is so, it just feels so freeing and like, oh, I want that kind of sub bass on that or I want that plucky synth or whatever and it's just there. And of course, it doesn't mean that you're restricted to not be like, actually, I need to find something else. But it just gets the ideas out quicker. Yeah, and at the end of the day, in the creative stage, so in the writing stage, a kick drum's a kick drum and a snare's a snare. So... If you've just got a few channels with some of your favourite ones from recent times, it just moves you along. You don't have to go find anything. Exactly. And you can always come back and you can always replace them if it's not quite working. But I think the the point of the template is more not to 
it, it does shape your sound in a certain way because, and I'm going to talk about it in a bit, how like I go through updating them, but you've also got to get the idea out as well. So yeah. it's kind of the, the time saving in that sense as well. Like you've just alluded to, I know I like that pluck. Let's go for something plucky. It's not to say at the end you might not replace it with a, a different pluck sound, but you've got to the point of getting to like 30, 40% a lot quicker than you would have starting from nothing and just sitting there, just going through click, 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 off sample, after sample, after sample. So yeah, it, for me, that, that's what it, it transformed. And, and that 30, 40% can take hours or days even sometimes so that was a change for me and I, and I definitely noticed it in my output I think it's important just to sort of notice what your tastes are and if there is something you just keep using every song that's the thing to put in your template it's not to say everything you ever use goes in there because then you almost won't be able to find anything again yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about finding a balance with that What I used to do, and I thought it was helpful, and it is to a degree, but I used to save presets within plugins a lot. But that's still a long-winded way because you still got to find the plugin. You know, most people using DAWs have way too many plugins than they need, me included. Mm -hmm. So to even find them takes ages. And then you find it and then you find your preset or whatever but it might not just be the preset for that plugin you might have to feed it into something else and something else so one of the things that i learned through friends and yeah other videos and podcasts was like don't save presets save channel strips that's the stage on from knowing what the pluck is if you know how you treat the pluck every single time yeah 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 put that eq put that compressor that saturation whatever so you can just load it up or that's already within your template which is you know the stage after so i guess the journey is if you're starting is it will be you got to learn your presets within the plugins then you got to identify how you keep treating certain instruments and saving channel strips and then from then on you have your template it doesn't have to yeah. be in that order, but I guess that's the development of refining your style over time. Or you may even start your template and you may just have like a couple of kicks and a couple of snares you like in there. And then the way I sort of work it from then on, every time you complete a track and you've created a sound or, or something that you like, I just add it to the template for next time. Whole channel strip, everything. And then from there, there's no sort of sitting down and, right, I'm going to make a template you just add to it as you go over time over different sessions you end up with three or four kicks that you like or snares hats and basses leads anything like that you just keep adding them in and it's sort of like a dynamic process that just gets better and better and there's no shame in using sounds from songs in other songs because inherently it won't sound the same anyway it won't sound the same because the songs will be different but that in turn will give you your identity. Mm -hmm. You know, my favourite artists are able to sort of conjure up a sound over whether it's an album or a period of time. And that's defined by using a lot of the same things over and over again. I I think what you said is really useful. So I'm actually going to ask you to say it again. So like if you were building out a template, you'd only just started, maybe you're a couple of months in. What would you mm-hmm. do from then on? 
I would write tracks to start with. I don't think I would start with a template having never written a, a track or a song or whatever. So a few songs under your belts. And then you just pick bits out of there that works really well. Like if in one song you're like, oh, that kick really sounds great. Oh, that's your template. Or that lead sound or that arpeggio or that pad sound sounded really good. Put that in the template. And I agree with you. I think almost don't see it as building a template. A template makes it sound like you're doing the same thing every time. It's not. You are building your sound. So whenever I finish a track, yeah, if there is something in there that I've, if I've sampled something or something sounds really good, I then just import that into the template, save it. Next time I go and start a track, it's in there. I might use it. I might not. But I will have a constant sort of eclectic pick of all the best sounds of all my songs, of all my like most recent tracks. So essentially the way I see it, the more I create, the better I'll get at creating, the better the sounds will get. So by doing this every time, I am using the sounds of the best of my ability every time. Yeah. And you will also find as well that things will fit together a lot easier. For example, I'm doing electronic music at the moment, obviously. All of a sudden, kicks and snares and hats will fit with any of the bases that you've got in there because you've done it before you know where it fits you know well this bass sound is like long and low so this will fit with the kick that's short and higher or this bass is used for more like plucky staccato sort of sounds and it can work with the longer bigger kick and those decisions that you can make early on they're also very useful for getting the track to the end quicker because it sounds good straight yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, in turn, you can kind of get hyped off what you're creating quicker and mm -hmm. the decisions which are harder, you sort of have more capacity to deal with those because you're not concerned about the smaller things. Everyone's always going to want a good kick, snare, bass. If you've sort of got that figured out, you can get to the fun stuff quicker, basically. Every time you start a new song, all those hard graft hours of carving EQs and whatever it is, you've done that already. And every time you've done that already, if that makes sense. So you're just, you're using better and better and better sounds. You have a better understanding of everything in that project that works, that you think more about the track, the song, what emotion you're trying to get across. And you don't spend that much time at the end mixing it, really. I feel like I've got more time now at the end to do the stuff that I probably didn't do before because I was so burnt out in the session starting from zero. Yeah, that's the main thing. The burnout thing, for sure. Everyone sort of has a capacity before burnout for a song. Yeah. If you're starting from zero, it might mean you burn out and then the song isn't finished and you can't face it for months. But if you're yeah. starting from 30 40%, those things that ultimately make your mixes better and more exciting are there for you to do quicker. The automation, the panning, the delay throws, you know, whatever it is, like you can just freely try stuff out and not be concerned, oh, I've got to think about this, which, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's super helpful for anyone who hasn't thought about that. The other thing I want to talk about is kind of along the similar lines is labelling. Labelling is super important if you're in a tracking environment now if you're doing like a solo production you're on your own then it's not so much of a big deal because you know everything inside and out of that session you don't have to move as fast mm -hmm. but 
Yeah, for those of you that are like, you know, you're the computer guy at a songwriting session, like we spoke about with Frank Colucci or something like that, labelling is super important because it can really catch you out later on after the session is done and you're having to go back and refine the comp or do the comp as a whole. Maybe there wasn't enough time to do that in the session. It is a nightmare if you just haven't labelled anything because you think you'll remember... But when you come back to that a week later, you won't remember where the harmonies are or where Mm. the bass tracking was when you tried it like staccato or you you tried it like a single note. You won't remember. Yeah, no. You just won't remember. Sometimes it's okay within those sessions. As long as you're not stopping the creativity, if there's a little lull or something needs to be talked over, you just be like, can you just give me five? I'm just going to label these things. No one will ever mind. Either someone will go for a cigarette, someone will make coffee, but that will save you the world of time when you get to actually doing the comping, the mixing, like finalising a track before delivering it to the artist. It's very easy in those situations just to be like, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, if if I was sending tracks to be mixed by somebody else, I would massively fall short on my labelling. Well, you say that, but actually that is something I've noticed you've improved massively on. When I've sent you tracks, and this is actually going to lead on to my next thing, yeah, delivering for someone to mix, have them labelled, have it colour-coded, have it look so pretty and so nice. I mean, the mixing engineer might change it to suit their own needs, but if you're delivering it in a pleasant way is similar to like the template that Mm -hmm. engineer can then get into the mix without having to do tidying up and wasting time doing that they'll deliver you a much better mix if you've done that work before you know so they don't have to basically and you know when we work together it used to be this is a mess (laughs) But actually, the the last few times when I've sent one of my songs for you to do your bit and you sent it back, it's been pristine. Yeah, that's that's only because I know it has to be now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get called out on it otherwise. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. But it's hard sometimes to prove the value of it. I would say going into colour coding now, I think colour coding is it's a mixing tool you don't need to do it when you're creating as much like that's it's just not it doesn't matter but if you're sitting down to mix something yourself or delivering it i'd say it's incredibly useful all these things are about taking stress off the brain so you can do what you need to do to get that song to the end more efficiently so if you've color coded and you know i have the colors i use depending on drums, uh, soundscapey stuff, effects, risers, basses, then pads, guitars, vocals, harmonies. I have my own. Do you ever um, find you run out of colours? Kind of, yeah. You do end up having to bulk a few things together. Like, obviously, 
you know, pads and strings might have to be quite close. If they're, d- yeah. I kind of do it as what its role is within the song. So if you've got a lead guitar or a lead violin or cello, it will have to be different to the other pad mm-hmm. or supporting role instruments. The benefit of doing that is when you're looking up and down the screen and you're just you're trying to dissect what isn't right with this song as a whole. And you can think, oh, you know, it's it's a bit woolly or it's a bit muddy in the low mids. You know what colour that is. You just yeah. go to it and yeah. you can just, without thinking, you just scroll up and down, you just get to it. I just spoke about how labelling can be useful in a tracking sense. When you're mixing, unless you've really, really condensed your stems down to just like big buses, which you can do... Colours are quicker, you know, rather than trying to read. Your eyes almost don't have to register. It's like purple, I know what that is. Yellow, I know what that is. Green, I know what that is. It's so useful. Do you order your tracks in terms of, like, low to high, in terms of frequency? Um, No, I don't, but that's probably quite useful. Yeah. Because I, I do it, it's not like I like, as in all the drums will be together, and obviously you've got kicks and hats, which are on the other end of the spectrum. But if a pad has a sort of bassy element to it i do color it the same blue as the bass yeah 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 for that's for example and then if i'm like this is just so muddy or like just sounds horrendous in the low end if i'm like well that's because there's like six channels of blue i'm like well some of these have got to go and then i just make the decision based on how much color there is there (laughs) (laughs) i think that's great like i've i've not used that before you know that that's a really cool way of marrying up looking at a frequency spectrum and Mm. just knowing that depending on left to right or top to bottom depending on which window you're looking at yeah it kind of marries up visually and mentally you know it just just finds it easier to find the problem yeah i think that's really smart i think what i've learned is it's like it's not always the bass that's causing the low end problem that's where I got caught out a lot of times when I'm, tr- I'm trying to fix the bass, trying to fix the bass. And it was just that there was like this really like sort of low rumble in a synth or something mm-hmm. that was just, that was that just wasn't needed. But I wasn't looking at the synth because in my brain, I'm like, oh, it's low. It's got to be something low. So it's, so it's the bass. It's, so it's the kick. Yeah. But like I just group instruments together that I feel are sat close in like the frequency range. And then you can just be like, well, there's quite a lot of, red so mate so and then i sort of go through and be like well yeah i mean you can't really hear that and then sort of you mute that and then you're like, oh that sounds better and then you i don't know maybe it's a bit of a, a cheat in mixing but it but it can work no there's there's no rules with that you know you know there's two elements to mixing there's the carving out the making things correcting incorrect or harsh frequencies to then allow you to boost the, you know, the good ones or the pleasant ones, according to taste. And then there's the more creative side of mixing. It's like the surgery aspect, and then there's, you know, mm-hmm. the lollipop at the end. <laughs> yeah, just the, the tricks. That's what the showing gets off. after surgery, isn't it? A lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so, mate. Yeah, I thought that was a dentist. Actually, yeah, I know. which actually is really weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really like, wrong. Actually, I'm sure they don't do that anymore. Oh, your teeth are horrendous. Have a sugary sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thanks. 
I mean, that is that's from the olden days. Yeah, isn't it it mean, is. It is. I bet it's not. Well, I know it's not a sweet anymore. I'm sure it's frowned stickers upon now. now. Yeah, stickers. Stickers. It's definitely stickers. But anyway, I hope some of that has been helpful. It's stuff that, like we say, has taken us years to sort of work out. And it might be obvious for some and super helpful for others. We're going to share our own templates that we use to start off our own songs. For any of you who just want to have a starting point, you know, if you want to make indie alt pop, you can use mine. Or if you want to make dance music, you can use Andy's and... uh yeah, we'd love to, you know, give us a shout out if you're using them, tweak them and send them back, make them better for us if you want. <laughs> that would be preferable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you'll be able to find those at poolhouse.com. And yeah, hope you enjoy messing around with those. All right, let's get on to tune of the week. Andy, mate, we still don't have a jingle. What's going on? I actually forgot about it, to be honest. Yeah, well, because of the uh, the guests we've had, I don't. We haven't been doing it, have we? So no, no. We, we we'll have a tune of the week jingle. Don't worry, we'll we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> it's, it's Maybe on like episode forty seven. <laughs> <laughs> if we plan for that, we might get there. <laughs> Do you want to go first this week? I'll go first this week. So my tune of the week is "Let You Go" by. Diplo. Long time fan of Diplo. Love the way he sort of meanders his way through the music industry, pretty much doing what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And this is just a great track, I think, that's worth listening to in the in the spring sunshine, if you're lucky enough to have any. I love it because uh, the songs we choose are, I guess, they, they lean towards what we're doing i'll put it that way so they're going to be quite different each time maybe that's a good thing maybe it's not i don't know but because listening to them back to back (laughs) is probably a bit strange however i'm going to go for gene dawson porn acting this is an abrasive track it's in your face it gets me amped up i love it at some stage, I'm going to lean more heavily this way with stuff I do. It's ironic because the song that's coming out next from me is very gentle and very the opposite of this. It's a hybrid of, I guess, hip-hop and almost like grunge punk. It's kind of original, but it's not going to be for everyone. That's what we're here to do. I'm here to, to showcase songs you might not have heard and uh, people you might not have come across. So this is Gene Dawson and porn acting. I hope you're enjoying the guest episodes. They have been highly enjoyable to do. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check those out because they are probably the most valuable. They're the longest, but they are thoroughly good listens. Please hit us up if you want to collaborate or you want to tell us what you want to hear on the podcast. You want to get together for a coffee. I don't know. I'm game for all of it. (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening. I am Vincent George. You can find me at Vincent X George on Instagram. Andy, where can we find you? I create under the name 1816 and you can find me at 1816 on Instagram and just search 1816 on Spotify and it'll come up. Go check Andy's new single out. 
Scary Happy Things. Let them know what you think and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good weekend, Andy, mate, with whatever you're doing. You too, mate. Thank you. Take it easy. Stay Stay good. good.